As we burst into the room, the Count turned his face, and the hellish look that I had heard described seemed to leap into it. His eyes flamed red with devilish passion. The great nostrils of the white aquiline nose opened wide and quivered at the edge. And the white sharp teeth behind the full lips of the blood dripping mouth champed together like those of a wild beast. season to all you folks out there in the hinterlands as always it's your boys rock and max and we're going to be your guys as we travel the narrow mountain passes and explore transylvanian castles here at nightmares and daydreams y'all good evening lovely listeners we come bearing stories it's what we do gang but maxi before we get into those stories let's remind our awesome subscribers and listeners to keep on sharing the podcast by liking subscribing, reviewing, all that. And we'd like to remind y'all of our new Tee Public shop. We have some really nice merch there, some cool t-shirts, all that. So if you get a chance, head on over. Storytelling is a noble calling, y'all. Don't forget about us. Max is right, y'all. We love telling you stories, and it is kind of a noble calling. You know, Max, we should get a noble title, huh? How about Count? That works for me. Count Rockula and I. Whoa, wait, wait, Count Rockula? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's ridiculous. Reminds me of almost every 80s kid's favorite cereal, Count Chocula. Anybody got my back? I was more of a Booberry fan myself. Both were just sugar bombs. That's all they were. Yeah, they geared us up for a morning of Saturday cartoons. You ain't lying. Man, I was bouncing off the walls after a couple bowls of that back in the day. You know, and I like how in the old commercials for the cereals, they always had like orange juice and toast next to your bowl of cereal. <laughs> Hell, that never happened in my house. Exactly. Wasn't no balanced breakfast going on back then. Just pure sugar, y'all. Okay, can we get back to it, Count Rockula? Count Rockula. Yeah, sure thing, man. Let's get going. All right, gang. Rock and I are going to discuss and debate all things legendary, paranormal, and monstrous. And of course, fun. Monsters. All right, Maxie. I'm going to ask you the question, my friend. Do it. Do you want to know what's not funny? Getting impaled by a Wallachian ruler for invading his territory is the first thing that comes to mind. No, well, I mean, okay, yeah, but that's not where I was going to go with this. But yeah, getting impaled is right up there on the no fun at all list. Is impalation a word, like getting impaled? Can one impalate? (laughs) Impalation is not a word as far as I know. But what were you going to do with regards to not being fun? Being attacked by an undead creature of the nether realms who bites your neck, drains your blood, and transforms you into one of his kind, thereby swelling the ranks of the undead, and... Yeah, that's no good. When you come back, you're an underling. You ain't no boss with a castle in the Carpathians, you feel me, gang? Yeah, you're like starting on the bottom rung of the vampire workforce. Just a drone. You're most likely in the mail room, just answering mail, getting hassled by the vampire secretary right there by you. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. The most infamous vampire of all. Infamous. The Prince of Darkness. Darkness. That old dragon of the Carpathians. The Great Impaler. (laughs) The Terror of the Turks. Count Dracula himself. And a wrestler. That's the one. I I can announce anybody. It's going to be good, all right? You know, but he's not an actual legend, gang. He's a literary character. We only deal with real stuff here on this show, Maxie. Well, for the most part. Okay, true. But he's such a grand character, he's really a bit of both. And tis the season after all. We can bend the rules for Halloween. 
it is a season, and people have been telling us how much they've wanted us to get some episodes of vampires out there. Thanks for your patience, gang. Max is slow. I blame him. I absolutely am. As all of you are well aware, vampires have been and continue to be extremely popular. Oh, yeah. Some say too popular. In books, TV, movies, video games, the works. Folks do love themselves some vampires. So, Maxi, what do we know about old Vlad Dracul? Well, that's an important point, actually. I think we need to spend some time differentiating the legend and the historical being on whom he's ostensibly based. Alrighty, so where do we start? With Vlad Tepes, voivod of Wallachia in the 15th century. He wasn't a count? Come on, Max. What the heck is a voivod? I mean, besides one of my favorite bands back in eighth grade. <laughs> <laughs> it was a jam. It's actually a title that comes out of Old Slavic basically translating to a warlord. Oh, nice. So Vlad was the second son of a previous warlord, Vlad Dracul. Okay, yo, hold your horses there, Maxi. Wasn't Dracula Vlad Dracul? So the Dracula that we know was actually based on the son, supposedly, Vlad Tepes. The father was Vlad Dracul, and he was the founder of House Draculeshti, one of the ruling houses of Wallachia in the 15th and 16th centuries. The other being House Dineshti. Draculesti? That's a cool name for a house. <laughs> it is. But the big question is this. Where does Gary Oldman fit into all of this? <laughs> he was pretty awesome in Dracula. I mean, he's awesome in everything, but yep. he had that sweet silver beehive hairdo. Can't go wrong. And those like two inch fingernails. Yeah, he was pretty gnarly, man. And it sure was wrong what he did to Keanu Reeves. <laughs> All right. So in the 1990s movie by Francis Ford Coppola, we learned that Dracul means dragon. Now, is that true? Yes. And he was a member of the Order of the Dragon, founded by the King of Hungary, a knightly order fashioned after the Templars and other orders of the Crusades. Its purpose was to defend the cross and fight the enemies of Christendom especially, and most specifically, the Ottoman Empire, which was a growing force in southeastern Europe at the time. So was the father called Dracul because he was in the order? Seems like it. So according to the stories, it seems that he was a first-class member of the order, and he wore the badge because he was very proud of it, which was in the shape of a dragon pinned to his chest. And the superstitious local Romanians began to associate the dragon with him and gave him the name. You know, wearing a dragon badge over your armor, that's pretty cool. All <laughs> right, so his pops dies and the real Dracula takes over and starts impaling Turks all willy-nilly? Again, not really, no. It's a long and complicated story, and I don't want to get too lost down the historical rabbit hole, but Vlad Dracul, that is, Daddy Dracul, was forced to give up two of his sons as hostages to the Ottomans. So much for the order. Here, take my sons as hostages and teach them to smoke hookah. And, you know. <laughs> exactly. So Vlad, our Vlad, and his younger brother Radu lived with the Turks for quite a while, like six years. Damn. Hungarians put Vlad's cousin in charge of Wallachia, which meant that his father and older brother were murdered. Then Vlad snuck into the country while his cousin was campaigning and took over. Then there's decades of, like, shifting political loyalties and conquering back and forth between Vlad and his cousin Vladislav until Vlad was finally killed in battle in 1477. Man, that's a lot of history right there, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> so when did he begin his campaign of impalation? Like, when did that start? When did he start impaling everybody? So he started that, according to the historical records, in around 1456, 
when he took over Wallachia for the second time. Like he had taken it over, his cousin came back and he ran off, and then he came back again with the support of the Hungarians. Hmm. And he then plundered some Saxon villages, like German immigrants that had settled there, and impaled the inhabitants because they preferred his illegitimate half-brother, Vlad the Monk. Saxons? Okay, wait, like German Saxons? Yeah. And this is an interesting juxtaposition of two legends, actually, because we have the Transylvanian Saxons, who appeared in Romania in the Middle Ages, and Dracula, another Transylvanian legend, and, of course, the subject of our episode today. Okay, wait. Hold on. Transylvanian Saxons. Those are the ones that people say, like, are the descendants of the kids that disappeared from Hamlin. Exactly. All right, now, things are getting convoluted, y'all. Okay, Maxie, so when did that happen? In the 13th century, according to most of the stories, I think. So a couple hundred years before, yeah. Dude, that's nuts. Kidnapped by a Pied Piper, and then your grandkids get impaled by Dracula. Talk about bad luck right there, man. Not a good place to live, y'all. Some families are cursed, I tell you. Want to talk about how this guy came to be Dracula, the vampire? Well, it's pretty simple when it comes down to it, right? Bram Stoker, the author of the novel Dracula, was researching quite a lot for his new novel, yeah? This was in the 1890s, is that right? Yeah, yeah, right at the end of the 19th century, yeah. So he was researching a lot of Romanian lore, tales, folklore. Not that different from what we do, I guess. Oh, totally. Makes me... Walk a little taller, I must say. You know, rock, myself, Bram Stoker. Bend the knee to Count Rocula and Voivod Maxi <laughs> gang. Just playing, y'all. Don't get all crazy. Max and I are salt of the earth bums. He is especially. People have accused you of being salty, Rock. Guilty. All right, man. Now back to Bram Stoker, gang. So he was researching Elizabeth Battery, correct? Bloody Battery herself? Yeah. Now, she was Hungarian, but, you know, same general region. Yeah, one of your people, Maxie. And you seem pretty quick to claim her. Should I be worried? (laughs) Was that vampire gnome in our old D&D campaign just a ruse, you blood-bathing freak? Hey, I'm just trying to be factual, Rockford. (laughs) You're taking quite a long while to get to the point here, I must say. (laughs) Well, I can't imagine why. So anyway, Stoker was researching vampires. Battery, the Dracula family, and I guess he thought that Dracula meant devil and thought, well, you know, that's a cool name and a good juxtaposition, and named his literary count that. Great move on his part, I gotta say. Definitely. Of course, Dracula actually means dragon, which, all in all, isn't bad either. Still has a nice ring to it, and fits the character. Mm Mm-hmm. Indeed, man. So it's hard to imagine what else he might have named the most famous vampire of all, you know, if not for that mistranslation, right? Yeah, you know, Count Ceausescu or something, maybe? Count... Ceausescu, Max, stop making up stuff, my man. It's not <laughs> quite the same. It doesn't have the same flavor, the same spices, does it? Nope. Okay, so he decided to name the count after Vlad Tepish, or, well, his family at least. Mm-hmm. And then the Impaler was a vicious dude, so the temperament definitely fits the character. Exactly. You know, and it seems like in some ways he modeled the look of Dracula after his historical namesake too, though he monstered him up a little, you know? Ain't nothing wrong with a little artistic license, y'all. How is he described in the book? Well, let's read and find out, shall we? His face was strong. A very strong aquiline with a high bridge of the thin nose and peculiar nostrils, with lofty domed forehead and hair growing scantily round the temples but profusely elsewhere. His eyebrows were very massive, almost meeting over the nose, 
and with the bushy hair that seemed to curl into its own profusion. The mouth, so far as I could see it under the heavy mustache, was fixed and rather cruel-looking, with peculiar sharp white teeth. These protruded over the lips, whose remarkable ruddiness showed astonishing vitality in a man of his years. For the rest, his ears were pale, and at the tops extremely pointed. The chin was broad and strong, and the cheeks firm, though thin. The general effect was one of extraordinary pallor. Hitherto I had noticed the backs of his hands as they lay on his knees in the firelight, and they had seemed rather white and fine, but seeing them now close to me, I could not but notice that they were rather coarse, broad with squat fingers. Strange to say, there were hairs in the center of the palm. The nails were long and fine and cut to a sharp point. As the Count leaned over me and his hands touched me, I could not repress a shudder. It may have been that his breath was rank, but a horrible feeling of nausea came over me, which, do what I would, I could not conceal. The Count evidently noticed it, drew back, and with the grim sort of smile, which showed more than he had yet done to his protuberant teeth, sat himself down again on his own side of the fireplace. We were both silent for a while, and as I looked toward the windows, I saw the first dim streak of the coming dawn. There seemed a strange stillness over everything, but as I listened, I heard, as if from down below in the valley, the howling of many wolves. The Count's eyes gleamed, and he said, Listen to them, the children of the night. What music they make. Okay. So I think most people are pretty familiar with the famous portrait of Vlad the Impaler. He has an aquiline nose for sure and locks. And he's wearing some sort of princely hat or headdress with pearls on it or something. Exactly. I think most of you will have seen it, gang. But go Google it if you haven't and then listen to the description again and, you know, see what you think. So Stoker really plays it up with the eyebrows in a way that, at least according to the painter, mm-hmm. I guess wasn't realistic. Well, probably for two reasons. One, our boy Bram is, as I said earlier, or rather did, he was monstering him up a bit, you know, making him a little more inhuman. Yeah. Harrier is monstrier. You monster. <laughs> <laughs> Max is so hairy, gang, that if he could fly, he looked like a magic carpet. <laughs> <laughs> what? You're so hairy. Jane Goodall followed you around. <laughs> you suspect, Max. Hey, everybody, Max is so hairy. Gorillas in the Mist was about you running in the rain. <laughs> Take that, sucker. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, let's focus, Rock. Let's get back to Dracula. <laughs> You started it. So what was the second reason again that the painting was super realistic? All right, all right. Okay, so the second reason was that he didn't want to get impaled, right? Yeah, that's a pretty good reason there, I've got to admit. So yeah, you know, he adds hair all over, gives him a beastly unibrow, like Noel and Liam Gallagher from Oasis, (laughs) hairy palms, and then, of course, the teeth. So he says... The Count, evidently noticing it, drew back, and with a grim sort of smile, which showed more than he had yet done his protuberant teeth, sat himself down again on his side of the fireplace. I love that. You know, he's been kind of discreet about his teeth, but he's relaxing into his power now. Harker ain't going nowhere. Seems so. It seems so for sure, yeah. And, you know, that's what he thinks. But, of course, Jonathan Harker does go somewhere. He escapes, and thus our story. Yep. Great job, Keanu. I know <laughs> kung fu. So let's talk about the end of the reading, though, right? Because now we're starting to lead nicely into Dracula's powers. Presumably, he modeled them after all the Romanian vampires that he did research at the Whitby Public Library on. 
Hey guys, let's all support our public libraries. Yep. Who knows what next masterpiece is being researched in their hallowed halls as we speak. Agreed, Rock. Okay, so you just said presumably. Tell us again what he says. Let me find it again, write it in my notes. Okay, there seemed a strange stillness over everything. But as I listened, I heard, as if from down below in the valley, the howling of many wolves. The Count's eyes gleamed, and he said, Listen to them, the children of the night, what music they make. Yeah. Man, that's a dope accent I just <laughs> yeah, did right there. No offense to all you <laughs> vampires out there, gang. No offense. I think it's not necessarily the vampires, but the Romanians that you have to uh, worry about. If- uh-huh. My bad. So his connection to wolves is very strong in the book. And we remember that, of course, from the Coppola movie as well. People talk crap about that movie, but I loved it so much when it came out. And yep. I still love it, actually. Me too, man. It's a super solid flick. You know, I love how Stoker just threw some random Texas guy in there. Represent! <laughs> <laughs> so since we're moving into powers, though, Helsing tells Harker about Dracula's powers later on. Kind of list them, actually. Well, maybe you should check it out. And was that Helsing or Van Helsing? <laughs> oh, good point. Van Helsing, yeah. This is a bit of a longer piece, folks, so buckle up. As long as it ain't no Sleepy Hollow again, sheesh. <laughs> You're never going <laughs> to let me live that down, are you? I had to edit that monster, so nope. <laughs> <laughs> let us consider the limitations of the vampire in general, and of this one in particular. All we have to go on are traditions and superstitions. These do not at first appear much when the matter is one of life and death, nay, of more than either life or death. Yet we must be satisfied, in the first place, because we have to be. No other means is at our control, and secondly, because, after all, these things, tradition and superstition, are everything. Does not the belief in vampires rest for others, though not, alas, for us, on them, A year ago, which of us would have received such a possibility in the midst of our scientific, skeptical, matter-of-fact 19th century? We even scouted a belief that we saw justified under our very eyes. Take it, then, that the vampire and the belief in his limitations and his cure rest for the moment on the same base. For let me tell you, he is known elsewhere that men have been. In old Greece, in old Rome, He flourished in Germany all over, in France, in India, even in the Chernesees. And in China, so far from us in all ways, there even is he. And the peoples fear him to this day. We have followed the wake of the berserker Icelander, the devil-begotten Hun, the Slav, the Saxon, the Magyar. So far then, we have all we may act upon. And let me tell you that very much of the beliefs are justified by what we have seen in our own so unhappy experience. The vampire live on and cannot die by mere passing of time. He can flourish when that he can fatten on the blood of the living. Even more, we have seen amongst us that he can even grow younger and that his vital faculties grow strenuous and seem as though they refresh themselves when his special pabulum is plenty. but he cannot flourish without his diet. He eats not as others. Even friend Jonathan, who lived with him for weeks, did never see him eat, never. He throws no shadow. He makes 
in the mirror, no reflection, as again Jonathan observed. He has the strength of many of his hand. Witness again Jonathan when he shut the door against the wolves and when he helped him from the diligence too. He can transform himself to wolves as we gather from the ship arrival in Whitby. He can be as a bat as Madame Mina saw on the window at Whitby and as friend John saw as he flew from this so near the house and as my friend Quincy saw him at the window of Miss Lucy. He can come in mist, which he can create. That noble ship's captain proved him of this, but from what we know, the distance he can make this mist is limited, and it can only be around himself. He comes on moonlit rays as elemental dust, as again Jonathan saw those sisters in the castle Dracula. He becomes so small, we ourselves saw Miss Lucy, ere she was at peace, slip through a hairbreadth space at the tomb door. He can, when once he finds his way, come out from anything or into anything, no matter how close it be bound or even fused up with fire, solder you call it. He can see in the dark, no small power this, in a world which is one half shut from the light. Ah, but hear me though, he can do all these things. Yet he is not free. Nay, he is even more prisoner than the slave of the galley, than the madman in his cell. He cannot go where he lists. He who is not of nature has yet to obey some of nature's laws. Why? We know not. He may not enter anywhere at the first, unless there be someone of the household who bid him come, though afterwards he can come as he pleases. at the coming of the day. His power ceases, as does that of all evil things. Only at certain times can he have limited freedom. If he be not at the place whither he is bound, he can only change himself at noon, or at exact sunrise or sunset. These things we are told, and in this record of ours, we have proof by inference. Thus, whereas he can do as he will within his limit, when he have his earth home, his coffin home, his hell home, the place unhallowed, as we saw when he went to the grave of the suicide at Whitby. Still at other times, he can only change when the time comes. It is said too, that he can only pass running water at the slack or the flood of the tide. Then there are things which so afflict him that he has no power at all, as the garlic that we know of, and as for things sacred, as this symbol, my crucifix. That was amongst us even now when we resolve, to them he is nothing, but in their presence he take his place far off and silent with respect. There are others too, which I shall tell you of, lest in our seeking we may need them. The branch of wild rose on his coffin, keep him, that he move not from it, a sacred bullet fired into the coffin kills him so that he be true dead. And as for the stake through him, we know already of its peace. Or the cutting off of the head that giveth rest, we have seen it with our eyes. seen it with our eyes. All right, gang. So there's another power not listed amongst these, Maxi. I don't know. I thought it was pretty comprehensive. What did I miss? Or rather, what did Stoker miss? Let me read the passage. Check it out, gang. 
As I sat, I heard a sound in the courtyard without, the agonized cry of a woman. I rushed to the window and throwing it up, peered out between the bars. There indeed was a woman with disheveled hair, holding her hands over her heart as one distressed with running. She was leaning against a corner of the gateway. When she saw my face at the window, she threw herself forward and shouted in a voice laden with menace, Monster, give me my child. child. She threw herself on her knees and raising up her hands, cried the same words and tones which wrung my heart. Then she tore her hair and beat her breast and abandoned herself to all the violence of extravagant emotion. Finally, she threw herself forward, and though I could not see her, I could hear the beating of her naked hands against the door. Somewhere high overhead, probably on the tower, I heard the voice of the Count calling in his harsh, metallic whisper. His call seemed to be answered from far and wide by the howling of wolves. Before many minutes had passed, a pack of them poured like a pent-up dam when liberated through the wide entrance into the courtyard. There was no cry from the woman, and the howling of the wolves was but short. Before long, they streamed away singly, licking their lips. Dude, that's definitely cool, but pretty harsh too, so... Yeah, man, agreed. He can turn himself into a wolf, but he also has power... Overwolves. Team Jacob ain't gonna like that. Why are you trying to spoil our Dracula episode with Twilight references, right? You know vamps and werewolves are supposed to be eternal enemies, right? Like lions and hyenas, they just agree to disagree and then kill each other in the process. But now we see that vamps might just have a natural advantage. Exactly. I mean, you know, besides being immortal. True. <laughs> they literally have power over wolves, apparently. Mm. And that could be a problem for ye old wolf pack. You know, maybe lycanthropes aren't affected like regular wolves, though. They have, like, super high will saves to resist the Count's siren-like call to his service. I mean, that's probably it. I mean, that makes sense. That seems likely. He probably just has power over natural wolves. Yeah, like regular wolves. And that said, man, in those ridiculous Van Helsing movies with Hugh Jackman, doesn't (laughs) that version of Dracula have power over the wolfman as well? (laughs) I don't know. I saw it once and then promptly forced myself to forget about it. Uh, That's a wise move. That's more than likely for the best. Well, Maxie, have we missed anything? I'm sure we have. (laughs) Probably. We usually do. But let me ask you this, Rock. What's up? What Dracula movie, not just vampire movie, but specifically Dracula, Uh is your favorite? Hmm. Hotel Transylvania, (laughs) Blade, Vampire Hunter D, Hmm. Batman vs. Dracula, like any kind of genre. Hmm. Bela Lugosi, Dracula. Van Helsing with Hugh Jackman. We were just talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) You just called it redonkulous. I mean, dude, everybody, party people, you know, it's horrible. The vampires lay eggs or some other foolishness. And, you know, the Dracula (laughs) character in Blade Trinity is so super lame. Uh, Vampire Hunter D was awesome. But I'm going to stick with the 92 Francis Ford Coppola version starring, you know, Gary Oldman, Keanu Reeves, Winona Ryder. Yeah. I love it, man. And I think it holds up pretty damn well. Agreed. Bram Stoker's Dracula, 1992. Got to stick with the classic. Everybody, and with that last bit of lore, we are done. Thanks for hanging out with Max and myself during these spooky times. We love you all. Be careful out there, gang. Don't have too many caramel-covered onions. They might be a bit bad for you. We love and appreciate you. And if you appreciate us, head on over to buymeacoffee.com and search Nightmares Podcast for an invigorating 
one-time donation. Mm-hmm. Helps us mm-hmm. keep the lights on here at Nightmares and Daydreams. And speaking of supporting the podcast, y'all head on over to patreon.com forward slash nightmares podcast for bonus content. Tier started a buck a month. You can cancel any time. We continually add new stuff, including Max's Myth, Rock's Relaxing Reads, and bonus episodes, and new music by Teresa Joy. And gang, don't forget about the awesome fun merch at our new Tee Public shop. Hit the link in the episode description if you're so interested. Dude, I just got a t-shirt. Super nice. Mm-hmm. Me too. Speaking of the best bard in the business, Teresa Joy gives us that amazing sound so many of you have commented on. Find and follow her at Viobrite on Facebook and Instagram. And guys, we asked before, but we'll ask again. Please head on over to whatever podcast you listen to us on and grant us that boon of the five-star review. And of course, like, subscribe, share, all that. Help us get out there, gang. Thanks in advance. Join us on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Even TikTok, gang. Maxie's doing a lot of TikTok stuff. That's how I do. Lastly, gang, head on over to our own damn website at Nightmares Podcast Net and holler at your boys. Just look for the wolves at the bottom of the page and we'll get your message. And, uh, you know, gang, we really do love hearing from you. It means a lot. Keep those listeners' tales coming. We're hoarding them. So, <laughs> party people, as always, be good to each other and... Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams.